0: Hello and welcome to the "If We Knew Then" podcast. I'm Stephen Sox,
1: and I'm Lori Sox.
0: And today we're joined by Lauren Costabile from Hearts of Joy International.
1: She's the founder of Hearts of Joy International. They provide life-saving heart surgeries to children with Down syndrome all over the world. They also provide resources and supports here in the U.S., including my favorite, the baby shower. In this episode. We talk about the ripple effect of each of our lives, how connected we all are, and how each of us has the ability to change the world for the better. Welcome, Lauren.
0: Lauren, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: I came across you on the internet and read like two lines about your organization and just was enthralled and so curious. So I'm so glad you can join us.
2: Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm happy to be here.
1: You want to start by telling everybody a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure. Uh, My name is Lauren and I'm from New Jersey and I am the founder of Hearts of Joy International. So we're a 501c3 nonprofit and we provide heart surgery for children with Down syndrome. So this is what I've been doing for the past almost three years now. And, uh, Yeah, it's both very challenging and very um, fulfilling and beautiful. So it keeps me busy for sure.
1: (laughs) What inspired you to create this foundation?
2: So I have over 10 years experience working with the special needs population here in the States. So primarily in New York, New Jersey. And I've always had a special passion in particular for individuals with down syndrome. When I was 17, I volunteered at a special needs camp as a counselor. And they just kind of stole my heart in a way that was just very, I, I didn't expect it because I hadn't had much experience uh, before that. And after that camp, I kind of sought out opportunities to work with uh, this population and I changed my major in college. I studied recreational therapy and it was always something that was really interesting to me. And then about five years ago now, I went to Uganda and I visited a friend Who lives there. I was there for about a month, and I'm always very curious about how the Down syndrome community is treated in other parts of the world. I have been very blessed to be able to do mission work before that, so I went to places like Nicaragua, and I saw places where there are people with disabilities living in impoverished areas, and there's not many resources for them, so that's kind of what I thought would be in Uganda, but it wasn't until I physically went there that I I was stunned by what I saw that not only were there no resources available for people with Down syndrome, but they're not treated like the rest of society because they're looked down upon as less than because they have a disability. And I tell everyone you can't unsee something, and for me that was something that I just said, like I really feel called to do something to help. They're they're just they're not seen for the gift that they are, and I'm going to change that. So it's a big undertaking, but there's much more to that story. But that's kind of like what inspired me to do something in that particular area to start Hearts of Joy. So is Hearts of Joy it, just primarily in Uganda? So it started in Uganda, and now we work in India, the Philippines, Mexico, and right here in the states we do. Counseling and uh, helping to provide resources for pregnant mothers who get the diagnosis of Down syndrome and heart defects. So, we're we're in a lot of countries, or um, and yeah, it's been great.
1: I want to revisit what you do in the states with the diagnosis, because I want to. I, that's something that's very important to me personally. But I want to talk more about what you do in the other countries. You said the one thing that struck you was seeing that the uh, community with special needs primarily, or more specifically, Down syndrome, that they're treated like less than and not valued?
2: Yeah. So because Down syndrome is physical, you can see physically that something is uh, different with the child. They may not be able to articulate in Uganda or in these developing worlds that that is Down syndrome. um, And therefore, there's a huge lack of understanding of what the condition is, but they can say, you're different. And so therefore we're gonna treat you, it's almost like we're not gonna treat you like a human being. And so you're not gonna get the resources you deserve. You're definitely not gonna get medical care. And sometimes you won't even get love from your own family which is really sad. And it's become a huge part of our program to advocate not only for the child but to build advocates in the parents and to empower them because I tell everyone, it's like when you tell someone over and over, any human being in any part of the world, you're not good enough to do something, if that narrative is, is repeated, you're going to think after a while, you know what, maybe they're right, maybe I'm not good enough, or maybe I can't do this. And that's kind of culturally what's been said to these people over and over and over again, like, we don't want to touch that, we don't want to go there, we don't know anything about this, like, you're not going to be able to do it. It's almost similar narrative here in the States, sometimes we can get a prenatal diagnosis, but it's like, we come in and we, we teach them no, like, this is not your fault. This is how this happened. And this child is actually a gift and they're going to teach you something of value that you would never be able to learn any other way aside from parenting this child. And it's a beautiful thing. And we're going to walk by you. We're going to help you. We're going to give you tools to be able to be that parent that you're meant to be for this child. And also like people with Down syndrome are the greatest. And they're such like little loves and you're going to get so much joy and love from them. And it's just that flip when a parent finally realizes like what we're saying is true, even though it's hundreds of years of a different narrative. It's really like one of my favorite moments is when that that parent realizes, okay, like there is something to this because they want to love their child. They do. It's just, they're fighting a culture that tells them why bother and so it's almost like very foreign to us here sometimes, or it can be, but but even not. Like I said, with the prenatal diagnosis, I think we can all kind of understand that it's very isolating and um, it's become a huge part of our program, that counseling piece to really educate people on the reality of what Down syndrome is, how it occurs, and how to, how to take care of the child in the best way possible. So we provide the surgery, but we also like walk with the family and uh, help them to know that they're not alone in this process.
1: What I find so interesting is when you're talking about going to another country and how you see that this community is looked upon as not equal, you know, it's not much different in the United States. And I I don't think I would know that until I had a child with Down syndrome. But the truth is everything that you're saying as far as the narrative that's been given to parents, I feel like it's changing recently for the Down syndrome community. But that is the narrative that's still told to parents of children with Down syndrome and also told to children with Down syndrome and adults with Down syndrome. So it isn't really much different. I just think that For me to experience it in this country where we live, it was shocking to me. The lack of support or education, the push for testing for this one chromosome, the dialogue that's spoken to uh, mothers prenatal in the midst of their pregnancy or right after giving birth, uh, it does. It does definitely plant the seeds, those same seeds of having a life that's less value and then you do see it in our culture. Like I yeah, said- and you
0: mentioned culture, and that's a word you used, Lauren. It is an ingrained thing. It's a, an, a there's assumptions about Down syndrome even in this country that need to almost be proven to be false for people to actually understand the truth. And it is cultural. It's if it's the word cultural or narrative, mm-hmm. it's still it's here too.
1: And it's really prevalent. If you go on any of the Message boards on on social media, you see, uh, and and I think, like I said, it is changing. So when you get the parents who are now getting diagnosis, but they're dealing with their maybe their parents or their grandparents, and they're being fed that same belief of you know, this life is worth less or, you know, what did you, I mean, what did you do? Or, you know, there's, there's so many things that are, that are so untrue and still filtered down. And until that, those conversations that are untrue stop, then I think that's when this community will be most empowered because all the, the negative misinformation is I think really what's creating the boundaries in the community.
2: You're so right. And I think across the board globally, we've made so so much progress in so many areas and yet we can always be better. And I think what you just said struck me about like people asking uh, when they get the prenatal diagnosis or wanting to talk to other people, that community is key. That understanding from a family perspective of having this type of child yourself, knowing like, no, that narrative that we're being fed is actually incorrect. It's completely false. And I always like to share like about like the ripple effect, like, cause I see that in my work and it's even what you're describing. It's like that, I, I believe that that's the way that we change it is one person at a time and by our own personal experiences. And there's so many narratives that we're being fed that are just blatantly untrue. And the only way to fix that, I think is with our own personal um, stories. And I think that that's really impactful of like the truth of like, no, these, these children are, are a gift and. They're beautiful and they deserve to be here like anyone else.
1: You were saying, like for instance, when you're in Uganda and a family has a child with Down syndrome, I'm assuming that you, you see from either birth or older, like families who have children with Down syndrome, do they not have a word for the diagnosis? Is there the lack of the education of what the diagnosis is?
2: Yes. So sometimes they will be diagnosed at birth and sometimes they won't. Um, it just kind of depends on the location because the reality is that not all these children are even born in a hospital. Most of our families live in the villages, and so they don't have access to a hospital. Some of them are giving birth on their own land in their backyard. And so the reality is that unless there is a problem, unless the child presents some kind of symptom of uh, speaking about the heart defect, like uh, has a cough or has trouble breathing, then they'll say, okay, I think I think we need to take them to a hospital. And so sometimes our kids are diagnosed when they're like 6 months old, 2 months old when they finally go to a hospital. And then other times if they are born in a hospital or clinic or medical facility, they will be diagnosed at birth, but the issue is that that's it. And they just say trisomy 21. They don't even say down they don't say down syndrome, but then they don't explain, well what is trisomy 21? It's just a vague diagnosis and they don't associate Um, the heart defect with that diagnosis. So it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a circle of like lack of education and just lack of resources. Like these, these people are not always able to just get up and go to a hospital, even if their child is sick. So it's kind of a multiple of things, but it's not really talked about. And it's, there's, there's a huge lack of, yeah, understanding for what that even means. We come in and we say, Trisomy 21 and Down syndrome are the same thing. And then we explain the chromosome, the extra chromosome. And what does that mean? A lot of the mothers blame themselves and think that they did something because they're very superstitious culture. So they think that they did something or the father did something. And it's, we just tell them that, no, this is a chromosomal issue that happened at conception. And this is the child you've been given. And so there's, there's a lot of education to be done. And once it's repeated and kind of, like I said, we start to change that narrative, people are receptive because they, they want to know the truth. They seek that they desire that they just have never is very foreign to them. They've, they want the answers they want to know, you know? Um, so it's, it's a very interesting experience, but, uh, yeah, I believe that education is everything and I want to be educated. I'm constantly learning more about how we can better serve these people and in trying to put myself in that situation and what would I want to know and so hearing from mothers like who have children and and know what that feels like is is super valuable to us and we have like a strong community of people that we refer families to if they want to meet a child with Down syndrome once they get the diagnosis if they're here in the states all that kind of stuff and our families in other countries we like introduce them to each other and it's it like I talk about that ripple effect again because it's like we'll send a group of kids to India for surgery from Uganda. And then they'll go back home and they'll be in their village. And then like, they'll go and tell their neighbor and then their neighbor will realize, oh, I think my cousin's baby has Down syndrome and then they'll apply to our program. And it's just, it's always so beautiful how that works. And like I said, that that's how it, it shifts. It's one person at a time. And it might be like a slow process, but it, it's that that's how you make a real change, I believe.
0: Well, of course, education is very important. When I think of the surgeries that we really take for granted in the United States, being able to provide that for uh, someone that doesn't have the resources that we have here, that's saving lives. And uh, how many have been sponsored through your organization to have heart surgeries?
2: So since 2019, we have done 35 heart surgeries in four countries. So it's been beautiful. And even during um, this past year we've still been able to heal hearts amidst the pandemic which is something that we're very proud of our team in these countries that have worked tirelessly amidst all of these challenges that you know these new challenges that are presented and they're still able to yeah save lives and and heal hearts so we're very very happy about that and we've certainly adapted the program as like you know country shut down and borders close and cases rise and all these things but um our kids are so resilient and there, there's always, um, there's always a way, you know, we, we make a way and we really fight for these kids. So we're really happy to still be able to do that, um, during this time.
1: And tell us the countries again that this program is
2: available in. Yeah. So Uganda, India, the Philippines and Mexico.
1: Now, do they have to be from those countries or do they just have to get to that country?
2: So they have to be from those countries. A part of our program is, or the way it's structured is, we want to treat patients in their own country. That's the goal, so that they speak their language and culturally it's the same. And they, there's a better understanding when it's in their own country. Now in Uganda, it's simply not feasible uh, because of the level of care that's available there. And so we do fly the kids from Uganda to our hospital in India as well as our complex cases from the Philippines, we fly to India. And so it's kind of like a little loop around just because there's, there's better care there and it's safer uh, because with Down syndrome, there's a lot of complexity that goes along with that. And so the recovery is longer than a typical child. And so there are just different things that are not available in their own country with the Ugandans, but we really push for that. So our our patients in Mexico are being treated in Mexico, our patients in the Philippines are being treated in the Philippines. And so because there are structures in place, and very well trained doctors that are able to, to perform the surgeries, they just, they need that extra like push, and they need that extra um, connection. And we kind of just fill in the the blanks for them and, and connect that all uh, for them. So we work very closely with the a team of doctors and the healthcare team and the hospitals in each of those countries. We have a team of about like 15 people in each country that we work very closely with. So We wouldn't be able to do it without them. That's why we're able to continue amidst everything that's going on because it's it's already established in their own countries for the most part.
1: And If somebody from one of those countries wanted to apply for your program, I know they can go online. I see there's an application they can fill out. It does say date of diagnosis. So if there's someone who has not received a diagnosis, is that something that they don't have to be dissuaded from if they got to that part of your application and they didn't have a diagnosis or they didn't have a cardiologist? That's something that you could just kind of explain and work through. And then also, I don't know, like internet-wise, is there another way for them that we could put in our show notes that they would be able to reach Hearts of Joy?
2: Sure. So they can apply on our website, which is heartsofjoyinternational.com. There's a refer child form if they have access to the internet, which most do, but not all. And most of our kids do have a diagnosis, which is the reason why they're contacting us. Um, If it's by word of mouth, sometimes we'll get messages on our social media pages, which you can also message us on and we can further the application and point you to how you can fill it out if, if you don't have access to the internet. And our social media pages are also Hearts of Joy International on Instagram and Facebook. And then we have a phone number as well, um, which is listed on our website, sometimes because of international fees and all these things. That, that's not really the route that a lot of our people take. And then we do have contacts on the ground. So if someone were to, we work with partner organizations in each country. So actually, often a lot of our applications come in through referrals of other organizations that call us or send us an email. And um, you could also email us at info at heartsofjoyinternational.com. So there are several ways to get in touch with us. We're very responsive in whatever way you want to reach us, (laughs) whatever works for you. We're, We're not lacking in applications. We actually have a wait list currently because of everything that's going on in the world. And so people find a way to contact us or the word travels fast again, that ripple effect. Um, once you put it out in the universe, it really does travel fast. And so, yeah, there's multiple ways to get in touch with us.
0: When you talk about that ripple effect to contact people, how did it start start? Like what was the first connections with children of need? How did you really get the ball rolling at first?
2: Yeah, so it's funny, because I thought that I would move to Uganda and and kind of spend time going into the villages and like kind of looking for people. And that's just not the way it happened at all. So when I was explaining to you that I went and I visited the community there, um, which is how it started, I met one baby in particular, and she was about six months old, which is the perfect age to get the surgery. And so I knew just by holding her that uh, she had a heart defect, uh, because of the way that she was breathing. Her la- her breathing was very labored and she was having difficulty breathing. And so I came back to the States and I kept in touch with the family and my friend who lives there. And we were kind of scheming and we got her to go to the, ho- her parents to take her to the hospital, get an echo heart scan. And she ended up having three holes in her heart. And so I started GoFundMe and I made a video and I posted it on Facebook and we raised money for that baby to get surgery. It was about $5,000 in Uganda at the time for this procedure. And this is where I was learning everything, which is why I structure the program the way that I do now. And we started raising over that amount. So I'm saying in my head, I'm like, what are we going to do with this extra money? Like I didn't have the organization then. Here's that ripple effect again. So when I was there, In Uganda, I had taught an educational course to to a few mothers. I mean, like, no more than 10 people. And I had a translator and I explained Down syndrome. I showed them photos of what it looks like. And I explained that it was global. It's not just people in Uganda. It's all over the world, different races, religions, different, all different types of people that have Down syndrome. It's so beautiful. And as we were raising this money, we're at like $7,000 for the one baby. And then the translator calls me and tells me I was out in a village, like probably eight hours away from where I taught the course. And she says she found another baby with this condition because of what I described. I described that it's physical, the physical features I described what to look for. And she said, I think we found another baby with down syndrome. And she also has a heart defect, like, can you help her? So it's Like I said, once you put it out there, it just, it, it just was like, A ripple effect that just never, it hasn't stopped since. So I said, okay, yeah, let's get her checked. Let's get her to the hospital and see like if we can repair this. I ended up raising $10,000 for both of them to receive surgery. And then because of complications, the one baby was a little too old, they thought, for the operation. And so they thought that she was probably inoperable. She was about two and a half. And the other baby was really malnourished and very small at like seven months old. And so the hospital in Uganda rejected them. And so I had to look elsewhere. And so I got in touch with someone in India and that's kind of where it started with India. I was applying to all these organizations all over the world and one of them helped us and brought us to India. And so that's where a light bulb went off. And I said, oh, like we could send them somewhere else. Like there's there's something else that we could do here. And so I brought both of the girls there. Uh, the little baby got her surgery and the older one unfortunately did not. She turned, it turned out that she was inoperable. And so that's also where another light bulb went off and said, we have to do something to help more children like this because it should never be because you didn't know that your child had this condition that they weren't able to receive care. And that's what happened to that child. She was too old, she aged out, her heart defect became life-threatening before the, the family was aware. And so that, that's kind of like the beginnings of Hearts of Joy. I started the organization right after this. And like I said, the applications have not stopped since. I've I've never had to find someone. They're constantly contacting us. And I partnered with multiple organizations in each of these countries. And so they refer people. And it, like I said, it just, it, it hasn't stopped in almost three years. So it's kind of how we, how we're, people are brought to us. I always say that like they're literally brought to us and it's, it's just the children that were meant to help.
1: What made that child at two and a half inoperable?
2: Yeah. So 50% of children born with Down syndrome will have a heart defect. So that heart defect is a hole in the heart or multiple holes. So where the hole is located will determine what type of surgery the doctors can do to correct it. So sometimes we have to fully open the heart and that's mainly what we do the Full open heart you have to close the hole. And then sometimes we can do something called a catheter procedure, where they put a device through a small tube in their leg through a catheter, and it plugs the hole. So it just depends on the area, whether it's in the chambers or the valves or the wall, like where it's located in the heart. The issue is that once the child turns about six months or later, the holes start to get larger. Sometimes, sometimes they don't. But if they are large, or sometimes there'll be like two large one and one small one, or something of that effect. If there's multiple, and what happens is the blood flow is not going in the proper parts of the body, and so the blood is flowing into the lungs, and it causes a condition called pulmonary hypertension, where the fluid is filling the lungs, and at some point it becomes irreversible. So you can't repair the lungs without the heart failing, and you can't repair the heart without the lungs failing, and so that's why they deem a child inoperable. It's usually uh, because of pulmonary hypertension, their lung damage is too severe and it's irreversible. And that's uh, unfortunately what happened to this child and what happens to countless children if this is not taken care of at, at the proper time.
0: Yeah, this is what has been happening to and would have happened to the kids that, that you were able to connect to.
1: When you receive a diagnosis, there's certain tests that, you, that follow with Down syndrome is that really what we're going for is that parents can receive a diagnosis and then know what Down syndrome is and then be able to test for these things?
2: Absolutely. And also to associate that a person with Down syndrome has a high likelihood of having a heart defect. I know they ha- they could have a lot of other health complications, but this is one that is is literally life-threatening. And so that's part of our education is to connect the two. Yes, to explain about Down syndrome and how to care for the child and check for all these other um, potential medical complications but really to check their hearts and to tell the parents what to look out for i mean here in the states when a child is born and they have down syndrome and they get that diagnosis they're going to be checked for all those things at the hospital no one here is going to not be checked for that they don't get that luxury in these other countries and it's just it's simply because, like I said, because of that stigma, they don't feel that it's important, or maybe some of them don't even know that they should check that. But it's really that education piece in in telling parents and families, and even educating doctors in, in different parts of the world that Down syndrome is associated with the heart defect and we need to check that as early as possible so that we can get the surgery and correct it and save the child's life.
1: I think really educating the medical profession that that life has a value, because I know that that isn't something that's necessarily the opinion of a lot of medical professionals, period. Even uh, here. Yeah, it, and I'm talking about here. Yeah. Like, the, the, the exactly. just like There's still that archaic belief of that life is going to be um, a burden, that life will have no value, the quality of life and all of those things. They really come from a time when our children were, you know, like you said, a long time ago, child would be born, they'd see it as different, they'd take it away, they'd put it in an institution, and then then that life becomes limited because it will be a reflection of its environment. What doesn't hold is this is what we did to that life. What holds is this is what that life is. And it's not true. So I can only imagine in you know, just different parts of the world that just that having that education piece, I know that it's, it's a challenge here. I don't know what that looks like in, in other places of the world, but I do think that just that value, just the just to get rid of that mindset that differences are, are burdens, that differences have less value.
0: Well, we've discussed a lot about, you know, what do you do as an advocate? You know, where do you start? You start at what level and how do you make an impact? And you talk about the ripple effect. You've said it many times. And I think about how just an overall experience with someone with Down syndrome, and that can start in TK, kindergarten, sometime in in school uh, or in your neighborhood that you come across someone and you learn about them. And that can be about... A race or Down syndrome or what have you, a uh, different culture. Any difference, right? Any difference. And you don't know someone that's different than you, and then they're just not part of your life and part of your community. So we need to actively learn more about each other.
1: In addition to the support and the heart surgeries, you say you go into the communities and educate on what the diagnosis is. Is that something that you still do? You still offer?
2: Yes. We also are present for the heart surgery, the entire process. So when we send a patient to another country, like when we send them to India, our team travels with them. And so we're with them through the entire process. We're breaking down the, you know, what the surgery means, uh, the fact that their child's going to have breathing tubes and all these things, um, kind of desensitizing them so that they're able to cope with it better, the, the parents. And um, we do that in every country. So there is like pre-education and there's the education during and they're able to, you know, we, it's, it's about developing relationships with these people. And so once they trust us and um, they realize that we're doing what we say we're doing and we mean what we say and we're for real and we um, develop that trust, then they're open to asking us any questions along the way. And, and then we do follow-ups as well about six months after the procedure we'll go and visit the family and we're in constant communication with them i I, we get messages all the time from kids we did two years ago where the first the very first batch of kids we ever did in the philippines those mothers still reach out to us and send us updated pictures it's it's like just such a beautiful thing to see the child growing like some of our kids are like oh gosh like five or six years old now it's just so cool and Before everything shut down and all of this craziness, we were able to make a trip back to the Philippines and we visited like 20 of our patients that we had done prior and they're just, they're all like so big now and they're walking, they're talking, like some of them are in school. Like it was just so beautiful to see. Really cool.
1: Oh, I love that. I love that they're in school. Oh yes. When you said cool, I was this I was thinking the whole time this is so cool because really when it comes down to it is you know, we're on this mortal coil for just such a short period of time and what kind of effect what we'll just call this the ripple effect. What can we start? What's our ripple effect of our life even if it was just one surgery, one person? you know, because that person has a family, who has a community, who has a village, who has, and it's just so beautiful and cool to have this be your life. Like, this is what you do. You go in and you help people. You help people live because, you know, um, I can only imagine the end to the story of the two and a half year old who wasn't able to get the surgery. And that's really hard. But for that one, you have so many others whose parents don't experience that. And then also the difference that you're making in these countries as to how they see Down syndrome and the reality of what it is. Because, because honestly, no matter where you are, there are people who still believe. Um, when our son was born, someone told us, Stephen, that, he was a good person. He didn't deserve this. Like he hadn't done anything wrong. And it was like, but it's not about that. It's not about, it's just a medical diagnosis. It's about the existence of an extra chromosome. That's, that's all it is. It's, it's not, there's nothing mystical about it. Just like if you had a a broken leg, there's nothing mystical about it. This is what it is. And this is how we fix it. And this is what we do to support it. And that's it. It's just a part of us. And how you're empowering that change, because that change is the one that's going to have the longevity of the, the one that's needed. You know, that that conversation that before anybody knew this one child who now is amongst his community and going to school, what was their understanding of what even that was. And the parent can say, no, this is what it is. And, and that just that changes that has such an impact. And I think it's so cool. I just I really think it's, it's really great. I think that's why one of the things I love about this podcast is, you know, sometimes in life, just anybody living their life, uh, sometimes it can be hard. And sometimes it can wear you down. But then when you get to meet people like you, who are going out and changing the world. The way it needs to be changed. It's just, it is really, really cool.
2: Oh, absolutely. I I've seen with this job because it can be very challenging at moments because life and death are in our hands, or before us. Um, but yeah, you 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 hit the nail right on the head. Like what we do with our lives is important. And for me, with my particular like skill set, the resources I have, this is just what I'm on this earth to do. This is how I'm called to love the world and it really has been such a blessing. And I uh, would take it all over again, even all the challenges and the difficulties that arise. And the second I look into one of these children's eyes, and like you said, I see them growing up and I see the joy from their families. It's, It's completely worth it. It's a real joy.
0: Well, it's got to be a lot of work to coordinate everything, and, and I can only imagine if you have a wait list, you want this to happen as, to as many people as you can. You want it to happen as quickly as possible because the quicker you can do it, the quicker you can get other kids in a safe time in their life. How much have you been able to stay hands-on? Do you get to travel and see the kids? How do you divide your time with the organization?
2: Yes, I do. I've been able to travel to every surgery, but yeah, it's my absolute favorite part, which is why I started this, the hands-on work of being able to be there with the families and comfort the child when they're about to go in for their surgery. And um, it's definitely my favorite part. Um, but I also coordinate the entire program as well. And so it's, uh, it's been a lot to juggle, but I do have help and we have volunteers and other employees and people that are working with us. And like I said, it's it's not possible without everyone else and the donors and the people that are hands-on and the nurses and, you know, the anesthesiologists and the assistants and everyone in the OR and the surgeons. It's like this beautiful community that comes together to help this little life. And when they say, like, it takes a village, it, it truly does because we can't do it alone, and I play my role, and I do what I'm called to do in the situation. But I also recognize, like, I'm not the heart surgeon, and this could never go on without him or her. Understanding, like, your own skill set, not being afraid to reach out and ask for help in areas that we need, and uh, working together in this community for for that one common goal. We're going to save this child's life, and we're going to support their family through this situation. So,
1: and so we'll put the Hearts of Joy International. Website, uh, that link in our show notes and any other contact information you have. And then on that page, is there a place where people can donate?
2: Yes. So if you go to our website, you click on the donate page, you can donate right there, um, which is pretty easy uh, to access. And you can also send us a check if you would prefer, and you can mail it to our PO box, which is also listed on our website. And like I said, uh, we could never do this without the generosity of our donors. Um, And when you donate to hearts of joy, you know, you know exactly where your money is going and uh, we send you updates on the child and you're literally helping to save their lives and make an impact that they maybe would not have had this opportunity if it wasn't for um, your generosity. So we're super grateful for anyone who feels inspired uh, to give in that way and support us and it helps us continue this this work and, and our mission.
0: Well, it's good to make it easy because that should be the easiest part. is Is the donation part, and and I'm assuming uh, you're an organization where uh, that money can is tax deductible for the donor.
2: Absolutely, yes, you get a tax refund, so that's great.
0: <laughs> and, any anything to get everybody wins. to do it, right?
1: And it's super cool. Yeah, it's super cool what you're doing. So I want to go back to uh, when you said you started. What sparked this this in in your life? And you said that you you began at an early age working with, was it children with special needs or was it just all, all ages?
2: Children up to like 18 or 17. So up to high school age.
1: And this was all different disabilities.
2: Yes. Um, but for me, I, I don't know. I I just think that I have a special, like, uh, hate to be cliche here, but like heart to heart connection with with Down syndrome in particular it's funny because I think the people at the camp started to notice too and I didn't even realize I had this gift until I went there or um it was like by the end of the week like all the campers with Down syndrome and me were like sitting at the picnic tables having lunch together like and they were all leaving their groups and we were kind of like this like little club so it's I don't know it's like kind of indescribable this connection that I feel towards this community. And they find me too. It's funny. Like I'll be out somewhere and I, I, th- like I'll just meet a family with a child with Down syndrome or I'll just start talking to them. And, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's a real gift.
0: There's no doubt that's a real thing. I mean, I, we've talked about it before and something that comforts me, uh, you, you know, you care for your children and, and their welfare and their happiness. And one thing I can say is there's a percentage of people in the world that love Liam before even meeting him. Just um, there's something, there's something there. And it wasn't anything I I had uh, growing up. It wasn't anything that I was drawn to. And, but I know, I mean, we see it in public. People will come up to Liam and just love him. And wow, that's not a bad thing. That's great. And uh, there's a connection, definitely.
2: Yeah, it's so beautiful, for sure.
1: There has to be something, because I think that you know the value of the life of someone with Down syndrome. And I have to, I have to think there has to be something in maybe your approach or the way you speak or the dignity that you have, because this is something, it's funny because this is something that as parents of someone with Down syndrome, it was a challenge. Like Steven said, a lot of people just will love Liam just because he has Down syndrome. And some, but some of that comes from a perception that is the same perception that w- that we find as a challenge to break through because that perception will sometimes cause the limits and boundaries that are put on him in education because people will see him as this same way. And I have to think because you know, what followed was you going into other countries, to educate people on what Down syndrome is, that it is a medical diagnosis, that there are supports and these lives do have value. I have to think that there has to be something about your conversation with them that is also life empowering and uh, dignifying. And, you know, we we can all suss out how people feel about us. We can all Uh, you know, like people may like me for a different reason and the tone of their voice will indicate however they they view me, right? And we can suss out when there's a person there that actually uh, sees us. And I have to feel that that must be present, that value for their life, because what Stephen talks about isn't always, that isn't always the conversation, like it took us a very long time to realize it's still a really good thing. It's great that somebody loves your kid.
0: But I have right? to talk to Sophia about not talking to Liam all the time. You know, in a certain uh, way. In a certain way, like I, not- right.
1: But what I'm saying is, it's two different things. It's like there's uh, a person that will see a perception. That's the challenge for me as a parent is when when people see a, a perception of my child that isn't the totality of my child. What I feel from you is that you would see my child as a just, an equal life. And yes. It's not always the conversation.
2: Right. Absolutely. And I think for me, it's it's that genuineness. Like we all desire to be seen and loved, like you said, in our totality, no matter what is going on externally, internally. And that's kind of how I treat everyone in my life. And so why would I treat people with Down syndrome any different? And like you said, maybe that is how other people see them. And I think I do believe that they have a very beautiful gift of seeing like that in other people, like the genuineness of if I really am like kind of BSing them or like just talking to them because they have that. Or if I am really like a friend or I want to be there just to say hi or get to know them. And that's, like I said, that's how I am with, with everybody in my life. I treat them all as equal because they are human. And so they, possess uh, dignity and worth just because they were created. And I really believe that across the board, but it's funny because I'd love to share this story about that camp, which is what made me realize, like I also want to strive to be more like a person with Down syndrome or to have that kind of heart that sees that genuineness in others. Because so that very first day of camp, so I was 17 years old, a kid myself, didn't have any experience with people that were different than me. Um, like you said, I really didn't, I didn't know anyone. There was no one in my community that had uh, special needs or Down syndrome. And I just had never been exposed to something like that. So I didn't know really what it was. My older brother had been doing this camp for years. So he would always tell me about it, but I never really understood it until I experienced it myself. So I was in a room with like over hundred people and they were assigning counselors to campers. And I was pretty awkward. I'll admit it. I'm like standing in the corner by myself, like probably biting my nails. Like, what am I doing here? Like, it was overwhelming. Kids were screaming. They were running around. And I was like, I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if I'm qualified. I don't have any experience in this area. And I was really feeling like down on myself. And I look across the gym and I make eye contact with this boy with Down syndrome. And I just smiled at him. He smiled back at me. And before I knew it, he was like running full speed across the whole gym, came to me, gave me a huge bear hug and talked to me like I was a person. He could probably tell, okay, like this girl's really nervous. She needs a hug. She needs a friend. And we just talked. We're like, oh, we realized we're both first timers. And it was that one single moment that I said, there's a hundred other people in this room and not one of them, not even my brother. Sorry. Um, he knows because I tell the story often. I love him to death. We're very close. But it's like, no one was like, hey, is Lauren okay? Like maybe she needs to just someone to be like, is she all right? How you doing? But he saw that. Not only did he see it, but he did something about it. And he came over and he made the situation better. And that is how I want to be with everyone ever in my life, I want to be able to have that radar where I could see, it's almost like he even saw that I was like suffering too, and he wanted to make it better. And that's just kind of how I see my job as well. Like, because the reality is that these kids are sick, they're suffering, their families are suffering with the heart defect and all of that. And I want to be able to be genuine in my approach and kind of see that in others and alleviate that and and bring joy and bring love to a situation that otherwise wouldn't have it. And so I always share that story because I love that kid and everyone knows who knows me. They're like, it's, it was him at camp that he's the reason why I do anything really. And every child after that is just like, oh, he reminds me so much of this camper. And like, I see him in a lot of, a lot of our kids, which is so beautiful. Um, But he's, he's such a joy. He is one of the funniest people I've ever met. Um, And we developed such a beautiful friendship um, since then. So it's, it's really awesome.
1: Well, what a great gift, because I think in that moment, you didn't know anything about Down syndrome. No. But what you did know was the one person who helped you was the person with Down syndrome. And I don't think that's what everybody sees. I don't, I don't think that's the experience everyone has. Most of the time, when you talk about any disability, the mindset is... I have to help this person, this person is less than me, this person is weak, but it's not, it's just, like I said, if I really looked inside, I could say, where do I need help? But you, your first experience was that this person helped you. So I think there, like, there's ingrained in you an equality that I don't think many people get to experience. And that thing that you're talking about, you know, presence, And it's a love that's without an agenda. And I see that that's it it took me it took me almost 11 years to pin it down because there was something and I like I told you, like I would really fight against when people would say he was an angel and like, all all only those good things like almost to the point of like, no, he's human, (laughs) he's a human and but that wasn't what was given. And so what then happens like with anything And I have to say, I was probably acting like my 13-year-old daughter, like what happens with anything if people are like trying to push something on you, whatever is true about that, it's hard. You don't want to see any of it because it comes with so much more. But what I have been able to realize in this last year, it's his presence and it's it's a love without an agenda. And I think everybody would be so much better off with that because, you know, this young man saw you, saw you in pain and came over. And comforted you, and that's the same thing Liam will do. Like Liam can tell he'll, and I think we all can tell, but we all are like, oh,
0: we we, we think of what if I do that? What if I'm rejected? As something? Am I what being I too pushy? Some... Oh, am I totally. helping too
1: much? Am I asking? Am I trying? Not but to he doesn't
0: just to naturally go what go your gut over is and telling say you.
1: you know, and and I'd love to hear that conversation. And also, I love, I absolutely love you're 17 and you're, I don't know how old he was. I'm guessing around the, you said around the same age that you're having a conversation because this is inclusion. That's an inclusive model that you have two peers. And, and I love that. And, I and love you're the learning from each other. And you're learning from each other. Cause that's what, like that one little moment is the definition of inclusion and it's powerful. And look at how it changed the world. I mean, look at what it planted in you and. Not and
0: just 35 lives hearts, but go back to the ripple effect, right?
2: There it is. Yeah. If I would have never gone to that camp, this would have never happened. So I should thank my brother because he's the reason I went. (laughs) Thanks for ignoring me and just leaving me there, but this would have never happened if he didn't do that. So do you want to mention the camp? Absolutely. So this is the mid Hudson Valley camp in Esopus, New York, and it's run by the Maris brothers. And it's a wonderful camp. Like I said, it literally changed my life. And it is probably the happiest place on earth. Well, I've never been to Disney, so I can't compare. But to me, like, it's exactly what you just described. It's inclusion. It's love. You're not judged for anything. And um, yeah, it's love without an agenda. And it's just like one of the most beautiful places ever. And we just have such an amazing time. I still go back to the camp when I can, life is very crazy right now, but I I will always, always be grateful and give my thanks where it's due that my life would not be what it is if it wasn't for, for that. And if I didn't learn those lessons there, and if I didn't meet those people, and I'm super grateful for that, we'll always be in debt to camp.
1: Let's talk about what your organization does here in the United States.
2: We work with mothers who get the prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome and a heart defect or just Down syndrome, and we help provide resources for them. So usually this is individuals that are deemed as like crisis pregnancies, so they don't have much support. Maybe they don't have families that support them, or they don't have a partner or a spouse that is supporting them in this pregnancy, and so often people get referred to us, and so we will walk alongside them through this journey. We'll go to every doctor's appointment with them, every sonogram, every um, cardiology appointment, and then we'll work to connect them with a hospital here in the States. Thankfully, most people have insurance. And so it's a matter of us connecting them and helping provide that resource for them and getting a surgical team that will operate on the child and then planning the surgery and planning a a birth plan. And I mean, we've thrown baby showers for our moms uh, because most of them really don't have any other support. So it's our staff and, uh, you know, the people that are working alongside us to celebrate this child. Sometimes too, um, we will connect them to other families that have children with Down syndrome, whether that's in the area or if they wanna talk to them over the phone. We'll like arrange like little play dates because I think that that's like you said, like we were talking about before, like that education piece and just learning the reality of what this means. It's a really good way to like meet a family who's experienced that. Uh, Sometimes we'll try to like pair them up if the family speaks Spanish or if the child's a boy or if the child's a girl, like we kind of ask them like, who would you like to be connected to? Because we have a huge community of people. And just me, I have so many personal friends and a lot of my friends have adopted children with Down syndrome or had children with Down syndrome. And so I'm always connecting families and people to people. And it's just that that's such a beautiful thing. And it's so valuable to a mother who's maybe scared and doesn't know what to expect to be able to talk to another mom who's been there and also to see the child and get like a real understanding of the reality of what that that's going to be.
0: As a person that was uneducated about Down syndrome but had a complete support group, uh, it was a difficult time. So I can only uh, imagine if you don't have anywhere to turn and you don't know anything about the situation, just where your mind can go.
1: Yeah. I want to hear about the What do you do for the baby
2: shower? Because that is something.
0: That brought a smile to your face.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we would ask the mom kind of what do they need? Uh, we have like a standard, like we made an uh, an Amazon wish list for like kind of like a standard, what somebody would need for a baby. And then we can alter it if the mother needs something in particular, depending on where she lives, if she even has room for a huge crib or we kind of like cater it to the person. And it's crazy because we, with one of our moms, I'll never forget, we put the Amazon wish list out on like a Monday and by Friday. And I mean, like there's like 25 items, maybe more. And I'm talking like a changing table, a crib, like these are pretty big items. By Friday, everything was completely bought. And so we have it all delivered to us and then we wrap everything. And then we, we usually try to like to surprise them. It's not always feasible, Um, But we were able to pull it off to surprise this one mom and she was just so grateful. And it was, it was beautiful. And then what you do at a standard baby shower, like you play games, you ask questions about the baby and you open the gifts, you have cake. I mean, like we try to go all out just because I love doing that to make the person feel celebrated. And we have uh, supporters and donors in every arena. Like we had someone who owned a chocolate shop. So she donated like desserts and then we had someone donate a cake and it just like, it was beautiful. And I was like blown away by the amount of people that donated so quickly to the Amazon wish list to, to be able to help the mom. So it's really beautiful. Um, people do want to help. They just don't know how to. And so we're, we're able to also give people the platform to really do something to change someone's life. Like you need a crib if you're going to have a baby, you need diapers and baby wipes. And this is like a tangible way to do that. Something else we do for our patients like abroad is we have care packages. So it's a little similar to that. We have an Amazon wishlist for that as well, which is like, baby supplies and different things for the the actual hospital stay for the child. So that's another way people could help if they feel so compelled to checking out our, our Amazon wish list or donating so that we could purchase those items.
1: I think that with the baby shower, what makes me so happy is that when we receive a diagnosis, the first thing that is taken away is our celebration.
2: Yes, the joy. Yeah,
1: the joy is taken away the, the way the doctor's You deliver the news as if it's
0: the way the family can react,
1: the way friends and family can react. And the first thing that happens is our, our joy is gone. The joy that, or it's attempted to be gone. There's like this, this, uh, weight put upon it. And so I love, I think that is the best way that you can support a mom is by helping her to celebrate. Like that is such, that is such a beautiful start because you're changing the mindset. Because the mindset isn't just the worry that's going to, that's really would be there with any pregnancy, but the, the, that worry isn't just the only memory that we're going to have. We're going to have a celebration and I want to, um, I want to get that. I want to find out about that wish list and and talk more about baby showers. It's, I think we should have a baby shower episode because <laughs> I think that that should be, there should be a to way. Melissa
0: K. Nock, remember? Um, yes. She
1: had she, a baby shower and she also gave, she handed her friends and family uh, informational brochures. This is what their, Down syndrome is. Mm-hmm. This is what it means. This is... These are ways you this talk about people with talk. Down syndrome. Yeah. This is mm-hmm. how we talk. This is what we, our expectations. This is education. This is, you know, we give out that information and, you know, you wouldn't normally hand out pamphlets at your, right. at your baby shower, but people well, have questions people things, and then we have a conversation is... and then it's not, people feel weird talking to us or they don't know what to say. Instead of a goodie bag with like wrapped almonds, you just give them this information.
0: You can throw the almonds <laughs> but, in too. And you
1: could throw the almonds in <laughs> like but no but but in all seriousness i think that's like such a beautiful way to you know get the information out there because the information should be out there it should be the correct information out, that's given by the medical profession it should be a different perception but it's not so we can't just sit in and, and wait for it to happen right? we can make it happen though mm-hmm. right even if it's just our circle and then it gets bigger and bigger so i think i really do want to have a baby shower episode well
0: and to start that a response to the diagnosis and that you're having a baby with congratulations. We've talked about that too, just that word, congratulations. And this is a way to say it as a community to the person. You're having a baby. The baby has Down syndrome. Congratulations.
2: Yeah, because they don't hear that from the doctors. or Like you said, they don't they don't hear that enough. That's definitely our approach as well is to celebrate like, yeah, you're having a baby. This is a beautiful gift.
1: So I just, I wanted to transition a little better. You were talking about how you got on this path and how you were impacted so much and how glad you were to be on this path. And I wanted to say how we're very happy that this is the path that you're on as well, because you're making quite an impact.
2: I really appreciate that. It's been a real blessing and a gift. So thank you.
0: Lauren, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Yes, thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. It was so great to meet you both. Thank you.